Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Kirsty Major, commissioning editor here at The Independent, and this is Double Take, a podcast in which our writers come into the studio to read and discuss one of their opinion pieces. It could be their weekly column or something from the archives that shines some light on this week's news. This week we're joined by Matthew Norman who will be reading and discussing his piece There's Only One Way Out of the Russia Probe for Donald Trump. Also, as a little bonus this week, after we've been talking about Trump we'll have a little chat about fixed odd betting terminals of which Matthew has first-hand experience. A day before the Russian collusion crisis took its most dramatic turn, so far... Donald Trump typed his most gratifying tweet so far. What he typed, to be precise, was the most pleasing two-word phrase in Twitter history. It offered such compelling reason for hope that it deserves recording with pedantic accuracy. At 7.17am Eastern Standard Time, on Sunday, 29th of October 2017, the 45th president obliquely referred to the charges against three campaign team members made public the following day. The phrase concluded a quartet of tweets of crescendoingly deranged hysteria in which the tangerine blowhard tried to deflect attention to long-since debunked allegations about Hillary Clinton, those emails flogging uranium to Russia. In block capitals, he addressed it to no one, other perhaps than God. Do something! In a way, an odd way admittedly, one admires the honesty. He didn't mean to be honest, as if that needs saying, but his subconscious cut through the crap and guided those tiny fingers to reveal how cornered, scared and despairing he feels. This was an almost animalistic scream of terrified rage. It read, with a ritual shout-out to the power of wishful thinking, like the scream of a dying animal. The formal explanation for his agony came a day later with the first concrete results of Robert Mueller's investigation into his campaign's dodgy dealings with the Russians. By conventional standards, foreign policy adviser George Papadopoulos' plea of guilty lying to the feds, and charges of money laundering denied by one-time campaign chief Paul Manafort and his business partner Rick Gates are sensational. In this context, they are probably Miller light. The flipping of Papadopoulos and prosecution of Manafort looked like a violent shake of the tree to find who higher up the chain topples down begging to cooperate to save themselves. If these are the first baby steps on a long and winding road to perdition, What is at stake is something far larger than Trump's survival as president. It's been brewing for years. What we may be about to witness is the decisive war for ownership of the truth. The exact details of how Trump's campaign colluded with agents of a hostile foreign power to influence a presidential election will be disputed, opaque and confusing to the layperson. Saving a full confession from Donald Jr. or Jared Kushner, and probably even then, Trump will obfuscate, lie and deny. Hoping to create a Russian riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma, he will throw up smoke screens. He will try to brazen it out and keep his approval ratings from a fatal collapse by bamboozling the American public. This is how he won the White House. Harder than ever to compute, though this is, 
One year ago, millions of non-partisan Americans decided he and Hillary were as bad as each other and reluctantly voted for the one who wouldn't bore them to death. The question now is whether enough Americans will do the same with the Russian collusion scandal and wearily wish a plague on both their houses. The answer may turn less on the quality of evidence Miller presents than its perception. Trump's room for a manoeuvre is limited. Smearing Mueller hasn't helped. He cannot coerce him. Having shied away from sacking him before, he cannot sack him now without provoking a constitutional crisis which, even at his 5am at Mar-a-Lago craziest, he couldn't imagine being able to contain. He could shut up in the hope that Mueller, having nothing more lethal up his sleeve, was using yesterday's charges as a bluff. But they almost certainly weren't, and Trump isn't well suited to holding his tongue. He could run the idiot defence that goes, if I was colluding with Moscow, how could I have been stupid enough to invite the Russians to hack Hillary on live television? But within hours of sacking Mueller's predecessor, Jim Comey, for official reasons unconnected with his investigation, he went on live telly and blurted that it was the Russia thing all along. Running the idiot defence is a big problem when your own chief of staff calls you a effing moron. The only effective weapons left in Trump's arsenal are the gift for using bluster and aggression to fool too many of the people too much of the time and the fruits of his collusion with Rupert Murdoch's media empire. Fox News continues to propagate the myth that Hillary should have more to fear from Mueller's investigation, while a leader in the Wall Street Journal calls on Mueller to resign. I have studied Murdoch's black ops intently for 30 years, but this whoring out of a great and dignified newspaper seriously shocks me. What it plainly portends is an earthly version of a popular sci-fi trope. You may remember it from a Doctor Who story involving that Murdoch doppelganger Davros, or from Benedict Cumberbatch's Marvel Universe debut as Doctor Strange. In each, the monster's ambition was to destroy reality itself. In this version, the bad guy's motive isn't the nihilistic craving to destroy everything, but the self-interested imperative to save Donald Trump. To that end, he now relies on his and Murdoch's time-honored capacity for steering credulous minds into a parallel world of auto-perceptions, where truth is falsehood and falsehood truth. If that fails, if, as Muller peels away the onion, his approval ratings plummet from the historic lows of this week, one coming Sunday morning, Trump could tweet an even more exquisite two-word phrase. I quit. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Thanks for coming in, Matthew. My pleasure, Kirsty. Nice to see you again. You too. 
Um, Russia, Trump. I've lost. I've lost track. I know. Where I know. are we? This is the danger. This really. I was writing. I wrote the piece I just read. Um, I deliberately steered away from exploring all the detail because it's very finickety. It's quite boring. It's difficult to follow for everyone. And the point I'm making is that wherever we are now, this will be won and lost by perceptions, not by facts, not by evidence. Unless, of course, uh, Robert Mueller gets a, a signed confession from one of the people closest to Trump that implicates him, or unless Trump you know, has a, has a brainstorm and confesses. Otherwise, as with most things in politics and elsewhere, it's a battle for the public relations and, and perception. And um, that's, where the, that's where the battleground is. You wrote a really good piece the week before as well, talking about Trump and his love of the JFK files because it fits yeah. into this whole narrative of whatever you learn and whatever comes out, it's not real. Yeah. It's fabricated. Yes, I mean, painting himself as the enemy of the conspiracy theory was an amusing departure for the man who launched his political career on the back of the um, of the nonsense about Barack Obama being born in Mombasa and his parents inserting a birth announcement into all the Honolulu papers on the off chance that... 45 years later, this black baby would grow up into a presidential candidate in a foreign country. So but you've got to admire the chutzpah with, with Trump, as, as so often. But yes, exactly. So this is now what? As I said in the piece, I am exactly as old as the conspiracy theories about John F. Kennedy. Because I was born the day he was buried. And you can see what I look like. That's how old this is. Look, <laughs> behold, right? This is how long it's been going this on This is for. how long. This is what time has done to this newborn baby. Look at it. Right. Fifty four years nearly. Um, and still. So the conspiracy theories about JFK were born pretty much the day I was born, which was three days after his murder when he was buried. And, and you know, despite these documents apparently not showing any reason to doubt that Lee Harvey Oswald was a lone gunman, that it wasn't the CIA and it wasn't Lyndon Johnson and it wasn't Moscow and it wasn't Fidel Castro, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. Right. So, you know, it, this is how old the normalization of altered reality is so far as facts. You can't persuade people who believe something, however crazy, the harder you try, it's like one of those knots, the harder you struggle, the tighter it gets. Now we have a, a, a battle for another, the survival of another American president. We know, we think, you know, this is one of those things as Donald Rumsfeld might've put it in his poetic treatise on knowledge. We know, or we think we know, that Donald Trump's campaign colluded with agents of the Russian state. That appears to be plain. He went on television at one point and said, invited the Kremlin to hack Hillary's emails, right? Now, as I said in that piece, the idiot's defense there is, if I was doing that, if I was colluding, I couldn't be stupid enough. What kind of idiot would go on television and say it? But if he is an idiot, as most of us believe, or an effing moron, as his chief of staff, General Kelly, called him, he would do exactly that, as he did, in fact, with Jim Comey. Two days or a day, a day and a half after firing Comey with this nonsense about it was fired because of his treatment of Hillary Clinton, which is what got Trump elected, he goes on television and says, oh, this Russia thing's been driving me mad. You know, So he is an idiot. He might be clever in some spheres. Lots of people who make a lot of money are dunces, I think, in other spheres. He might have a very narrow intelligence, but really he's, a, he's an idiot in this sphere. So he can't run that defence. So the defence he can run, he can only defend himself, assuming that there is collusion, as appears very plain, 
um, from masses of evidence. I mean, of those seven or eight people involved in his campaign at various times, including the one charged yesterday, Manafort, Paul Manafort, was the head of his campaign. Now, that's not somebody and lives in Trump Tower, apparently at either for nothing or at a peppercorn rent. Now, there's not a lot of distance that Trump can put between him and Manafort. So these people had connections with Russia or in, uh, Manafort's been charged with offences dated much earlier than that. Mm -hmm. But that establishes, you know, that he's a money launderer or pierced his charge of money laundering. Um, you know, we know Donald Jr. met with somebody promising dirt on Hillary's campaign and emailed to say, if that's what's true, I love it and all that in Trump Tower, a floor below, possibly a floor below his father at the time. But I mean, you know, the, 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 there are always um, ways of obfuscating. But what we think we know, we're fairly sure we know, that that campaign at a high level colluded with the Russians, possibly WikiLeaks, um, to damage Hillary Clinton. And that in an election that turned on a few thousand votes in a few states, I mean, literally, in, uh, in the Rust Belt states um, of Minnesota and Michigan, um, and other states, enough electoral votes turned on tiny fractions mm -hmm. to mean that anything decided it. Loads of things decided it. And One also of which... Facebook, right? <coughs> it may or exactly. may not, at some level, high or low, Russia was involved with the Trump campaign, but it definitely yeah. placed targeted ads on Facebook. Well, there's no question, I don't think, there's no serious question that Vladimir Putin and his people and the people working to Vladimir Putin or doing what either his express bidding or doing what was known in Hitler's time as working to the Fuhrer, which really means doing what you know the Fuhrer wants without having to get him to sign off expressly, that Vladimir Putin's preference between the two was massively in favour of Donald Trump. Hates Hillary Clinton, blames her for um, encouraging democracy in Russia and, and potentially weakening his hold on power. Uh, and for her, um, what she said, was Secretary of State about the uh, you know, invasion of Crimea and, you know, it loathes her. And, and a lot of people think that, she, you know, her anti, strong anti-Russian rhetoric uh, and insistence that she'd um, introduce a no-fly zone in Syria is the kind of thing that could steer us towards World War Three. Seems a bit fanciful, but, you know, certainly as far as Putin is concerned, Donald Trump, who, you know, apparently, supposedly hinted at lifting sanctions uh, placed on Russia since the Ukrainian um, um, colonization, whatever you call it, um, hinted at lifting those. So we know we know the Kremlin, but I, the, the feeling is that they didn't think that he could win and that the aim of this wasn't to make him win because that was too impossible a goal. The aim was to destabilize uh, American democracy, which God knows they've certainly done. They've made a laughing stock of American democracy you know, because we know that the, the the fake information, the fake news that they were propagating, the smearing of Hillary um, through WikiLeaks, which appears to be connected uh, to Russia. We know that in an election that turned on tiny, tiny, one tiny thing, one of many tiny things turns it unquestionably without Russian interference. We have a different president. And when you talk about disrupting democracies, I, f I feel like when we're talking about North Korea, actually we're kind of having the wrong conversation because nuclear deterrent means that the probability of nuclear war is very, very little. But the probability yeah. of cyber warfare, which I don't think yeah, many yeah. people are talking about, A, has happened, B, has no mutually assured destruction, so you can go as hard as you want to. And yeah. I wonder, why I do you think people aren't making right. that? 
people are terrified of North Korea, I think, because there is a perception that you have two crazy people up against each other. Mm. And I always thought, you know, with something like Team America World Police and their depiction of, of, of Kim and the Korean leadership and that there was a literal danger of laughing yourself to death because you don't take them seriously. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with Trump. It, because it's so comical, so grotesque, so absurdly larger than, than political life as we know it, you just sort of dismiss it as a, as a cheap joke until, the, until you wake up and see a mushroom cloud, you know, in the distance. Um, but um, you're absolutely right. I think the, the feeling is that actually the North Korean regime is entirely logical in the same way as Saddam or you know any other dictatorship. Everything it does is, in, is for self-protection. They've seen mm -hmm. America go into Iraq, which wasn't armed with nukes, and they think the only way to protect themselves, and they're probably right, is by having nuclear weapons. But they are aware that if they use them, they will all die. And by and large, people don't vote for their own, their own you know, vaporization. Cyber warfare appears to be the future of warfare. You know, I mean, you, you only have to go on an underground train or a bus to see that people are entirely dependent now on you know, mm. computer technology, psychologically. You know, there, it is countries even more so. You can cripple a country. If you, know, if you can write a line of software that cripples a country, you own the world. You can elect a government. You can elect a government, you can destroy a candidate, you can turn off the lights, you can destroy the transport system, or you know, you can you can turn off air traffic control, you can clear the you can do anything, can't you? There was a Sherlock episode with um Moriarty in the Tower of London. Yes. In which, you know, and and um he was advertising the fake claim. Well, I don't want to do spoilers if you haven't seen it. <laughs> I think it's called the Rachenbach Falls, isn't it? Yes. And um, you know who owns who owns the software owns the world. You you know everything now depends on software. So if you have the cyber warfare capacity um, to knock out your enemies, you've won before but you even start. In terms of perception, it's not it's not as exactly. you know, it's not even uh, crypto security. It's who controls your Facebook feed, who controls your news, which exactly, is the point exactly. you made. I in mean, your it's piece. always been the case that information is power. It's a cliche that goes back centuries. Now the information, the source of the information is if that is controllable with with other software, cyber attacks. I mean, that is clearly the future of warfare. And that's what Trump and his friends on the right of the media in America, especially the far right, like you know, yeah. people like Alex Jones, is <clears throat> I mean, we're talking about the the right that's so far there that you don't understand why the man's at liberty mm -hmm. with Alex Jones. This is someone <laughs> Trump watches and is influenced by. Yeah. I mean, he is just you know, you couldn't put on that kind of psychosis, you know, but he has, you know, millions of people watch him and, and, and the, the slightly more sophisticated then you get Breitbart and as you get more and more sophisticated, then you get to murder. Did you know Breitbart um, have the largest social media reach out of all yeah. news agencies? Yeah. That's more than the BBC, the Independent, the Guardian. Breitbart. I know, and I've been Isn't watching. That terrifying? That's another. Well, it is. I mean, I, it's another laughless. I've been. I've been reading Breitbart for years since it began, and laughing at these idiots. You know, reading the comments and thinking, "Thank God these people are, are so outre and so wild that they're never going to be in the mainstream of politics." And here they are running the world. You know, it's a most horrendous slow motion car crash that they've steered us into. 
But, you know, again, we underestimate the power. This is what we do, the sort of liberal or metrocentric people like us and Washington and London. We don't have any feel for what's happening. out. This is how we lost Brexit. This is how Hillary lost. We just don't feel that rage and, the, you know, that spite and that, that frustration and that disappointment and that nasty, brutal, racist urge that is shaped, you know, that's turned Ang England and Britain and America into the sort of transatlantic confederacy of dunces in the last 18 months. And it's that blind rage which allows people not to see the truth for what it is and to accept yeah. the, the information that feeds that rage. So with Trump, yeah. for example, they'd say, well, I'm sure he hasn't done anything well, you know, it's the it's the yeah. establishment is rigged against him, yes, and it's that exactly that as narrative. If, you know, because uh, being a, a son of a multi-millionaire, multi-billionaire, he's not part of the establishment. The President of the United States, he's an outsider without any power. Of course, they do. I mean, it's it's a it's a kind of collective act of will between the conscious and the subconscious. Mm -hmm. They they don't want to believe it. They want they have created. You know, I was talking to someone few months ago and said well the truth now is what you choose to believe this is probably serious unironic thing so they, the, the the truth they have they are living in an alternate universe from some of us or we are living in another universe from them we believe that we are looking at the truth we believe we know that because of our journalistic training because of our education because of our outlook mm -hmm. we it's not that we are capable of we have a compulsion to discern fact from fiction we can't help it we may be partisan, we may lean politically to something to the left or the right or whatever, um, but we, as journalists, we cannot just peddle lies. We, we, we automatically know how to sift truth from falsehood. And there, there are millions of ways. Anyone who's you know, been in higher education, that's what it's about, really. It's teaching you how to think or to how to discern. But in a sense, it taps into not, it's not just saying, oh, we've created this narrative which is a falsehood which you public believe. Actually, what someone like Trump has done is to say, I'm not this narrative, but I'm going to fit myself into a narrative which you understand, which is that exactly. you get messed about by people in well, exactly. power, by yeah. capital. And he's fit, yeah. he's fit himself into that. And, and, he's, and you, you have know, to it's, say... It's a left-wing argument in many ways, isn't it? It's an anti-neoliberal... It's... The I don't know. Which work it, it's either me. left or far right. That Horsey sort of rabble-rousing, you know, national socialists. Yeah. We don't, I mean, you know, we don't think of them as socialists, the Nazis. But, you know, feeding on resentment, stoking it, really. It's either the revolutionary left or the or the fascistic right, I mm -hmm. think. And he obviously belongs to the fascistic right, so far as he belongs to anything. I mean, he's slightly hard to pigeonhole because he doesn't, you know, he's only really about himself, obviously. And he could, he, if he, he could have run as easily as a, as a liberal democrat if he... If you thought that would get him the power, yeah, I mean, or the attention rather than the power. So, um, yeah, so and the narrative he created, and it, you've got to say, you know, how much you loathe him, and we all loathe and fear him. Um, he does it, has done it quite brilliantly. You know? So, what what do you think will get him out of power? Well, the the point of the piece I'm writing today is, as I said, that this will be won and lost on the perceptions. It will be muddied. These waters, they're already muddy enough. It's already very fine detail. Someone met someone else who knew someone who may have been briefed by the Kremlin. You know, it's not, unless there are, unless there are the, whatever the cliche is, the silver bullet, the smoking bullet. The smoking, the smoking, smoking gun. gun. Or the silver bullet. <laughs> He's not a vampire. No, well, no. 
This is the colour of... No. Um, unless there is that evidence, which you slightly doubt, then it's about... Look, everything for him, as with most elected politicians, depends on, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the people, on his approval ratings in this case. Obviously, we have seen a collective act of cowardice from the Republican Party these last years, before Trump, but even more dramatically since, on a scale that, you know, I saw the the film about Armando Arnucci's film about the death of Stalin recently. Oh, I really want to go see that. Mm. Is it is it, mm. is it all right? Mm. It's good. The trailer but not, looked, mm, but I'm a big fan of Arnucci. I'm a huge fan of Arnucci, and I don't think, it, I think it's good, but it's not as funny as you would. Oh. Anyway, the, that kind of sycophants, you've got all these apparatchiks, Milenkov and, um, and Molotov and Khrushchev and all these Politburo guys around him. Even when he's lying on the floor, stricken in a pool of his own urine, they are terrified of him, right? And and it, it's quite good at satirizing the way that they change their opinions, just preempting what they think he might want them to think mm. or say. But outside of that, these people had the excellent excuse that if they diverted in any way from from the line that Stalin would have wanted them to take, he would kill them or exile them to the gulag or whatever, right? They were in fear of their lives and their families' lives. The people in the Republican Party are only in fear for their jobs and their incomes. But they have behaved towards Trump, most of them, with exactly the same slavering, craven sycophancy that we normally associate with people around dictators, proper dictators, not would-be dictators, people who could have you killed mm. with, by raising an eyebrow at some hood by the door. So... But the only reason, the only reason they do that is because it's in their interest. Now, the moment Trump's, this week, two polls, in each of them, his approval ratings at another record low, one at 38, one at 35%, both way below any president before him at this stage of their first term. So the minute, and, and it's falling all the time, he's losing uneducated or whites without higher education and independence. Um, core constituents of his uh, of his base, but the moment that gets to thirty, the moment that Donald Trump is more likely to cost them their congressional or Senate seats or their seats in the House, then they turn on him like ravening wolves and tear him to pieces. When's the next election? There are midterm elections in a year. Okay, so if before, so just this before... carries on, right? Okay. He's gone from forty six to thirty six. Let's say in what is it, nine nine months, mm, just over nine yeah. months. And these things don't stop. It's a gradual erosion. Let's say in a year or six months, he's at 28, 30. And George Bush at his worst, at his lowest sort mm. of ratings, after Iraq, after Iraq was revealed to be a, a fraud and a catastrophe for everyone. If he's at those ratings, if the danger then is not that, that by attacking him, they suffer a primary challenge so someone challenges them mm. from their own party and removes them before those midterms if the danger then is that by not attacking by staying loyal they will lose to a democrat even in safe republican strongholds then they turn on him with the same ferocity that they've sucked up to him or, or you know been cowed by him so that's where it, that's why the perception with this is more important than the evidence if you know if it is presented in a way, if 
it seeps. It won't. It won't be someone saying, "Oh, look, you know, he met Igor Grigoriev, and you know, seven twenty-eight in 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 you know wherever mm. Gorky Park." That's why I'm going. That's why it will be a slow osmotic. It will seep into the consciousness, and if the it is presented properly and coherently enough, that it just strips away another, you know, gradually percent by percent until his approval ratings is so low, until the embarrassment is such that the Republican establishment finally has the feels empowered to turn on him, then he is absolutely ripe for impeachment or removal under the 25th Amendment as unfit, or the pressure is such and the position is so hopeless that he walks away. Mm. But I, as I say, I, I don't think that. that comes down to one piece of evidence or one prosecution. I just think it's all about it's all about approval ratings. And another thing which has taken quite a long time, and I know this is something else she wants to chat about today. Yeah. Fix our <clears> bet <throat> terminals. Been a long yeah, campaign. well, this is one of my things because I've had problems with gambling all my life since I was tiny, stealing from my mother's purse to play. When did you put machine. your first bet on? I remember a Brighton Pier on a fruit machine at about four, and then I think I, I um, had a winning bet on the Grand National not much later. So then, my whole life I was obsessed with fruit machines and dogs and horses, and worst of all, roulette. And I and as a young man, just to get my first job, I blew a couple of months' pay in a night in a casino in France. And from then on, I, I stayed out because in those days it was quite hard to gamble here, as it should be. You had to be a member of a casino. You applied. Oh. It took a few days. You were vetted. And were they everywhere? Walk off the or? No, there were very few. So anyway, and because of that, I had this wonderful protection that when I was in this country. If I didn't join, I couldn't go. I just simply couldn't go. Mm. So I was fine. And then in 2003, I went into a betting shop in Bayswater in London to have a bet on a dog or a horse or whatever. And, there, and I saw this terminal uh, in the corner. It was a William Hill. I remember it as if it was yesterday. And you could put £20 notes in and play roulette in a betting shop. And of course I did. I got hooked briefly. And I and I wrote so anyway. I wrote. I mean, I've been wrong about everything. More wrong than almost anyone. I've been wrong about Brexit and Trump winning and millions of things. But this, you didn't. This is not humble bragging or boasting or anything. Because anyone who suffered or who, who is prone to a problem of gambling, particularly roulette, knows that this is. And I, so anyway, I wrote this piece in the Guardian. It was a month after they appeared. This is under Labour. Mm. Tessa Jowell was the. Um, did they ease up the regulation on it? Well, Labour or it something? Was a Labour allowed this. Anyway, I wrote this mm. piece saying, I know, as someone who's had a problem with gambling, that roulette with its massive rewards, right, 36 to 1 on a number. So what does that mean? So you put down, tenner on and... You win 360 if your number mm. comes up, right? I know that this isn't just a... Di this is the crack cocaine of gambling, this game, right? It's a cheap phrase. But it is. You can get hooked very quickly, and once you're hooked, you are in real trouble with roulette. I have seen, I went as a five-year-old again to Blackpool, my father's auntie Lily, who we went to stay with her, I was tiny, and I, I was put to bed, whatever, and the whole night I was up because I could hear this ivory ball clicking in her sitting room. And she was a woman then in her 70s. And she spent her whole life trying to work out a system to beat roulette, like thousands of others for, for hundreds of years. 
Of course, it can only be done in a in another parallel world where unlimited states. I won't bore you with that. I have seen. I mean, it's a cliche that the the casinos of Europe are full or were full of these old grand duchesses with zircon rings. They sold all their diamonds and all they did, they lived only to play roulette. Mm. This is a wicked, wicked game. Once you get hooked, you know, it really is for various reasons, psychochemical, you know, reasons, endorphins, adrenaline, whatever. Um, dopamine, whatever the reasons are. And this is the worst of all gambling. This is crack or crystal meth or whatever the most addictive drug of the day is. So I wrote this piece and I said, this is going to be a massive problem. The problem with these politicians, Labour politicians, perfectly well-meaning, sort of, they've never been in a betting shop. They've never been in a casino. They don't understand that, well, they're playing with something really dangerous here just for a few quid for the treasury. You know, it is... And I, so... Suddenly, then more and more of these things are allowed. Suddenly, bookmakers are buying out every empty shop on the high street. Not because they, you know, you, not because their people want to bet on horses anymore, which is, you know, fairly comparatively harmless. At least you can study the form. At least you have a chance of beating them. You can't beat the immutable odds of probability on the roulette wheel. It will take, you know, the house will take three point six percent over time. You can't win. Mm. You're not gambling to win. As Dostoevsky said, a proper gambler, you're gambling to lose. It's a kind of sadomasochistic thing. Suddenly, they're everywhere now. They're every shop that falls vacant because it costs them nothing. They put one member of staff in, four of these machines in. You know, they're, more than half their profits are now made up. I mean, I've seen people I'm in the early days. I, I met some guy, an Albanian guy. He said he'd been saving up for two years to take his family to Tehran. He'd done it in an hour and a half in this machine. There were little old ladies who'd just blown their entire pension. You know? and, so and this was a unique, to me, this was unique in my long and cynical history of studying British politics. This was a policy designed to, to make, to, to increase the sum of human misery. That, you know, th and also, this is a, a regressive tax on the poor in the same way, yeah. you know, because the, every, there are millions of studies, but the poorest areas have the most of these shops and there are people who can barely afford to feed themselves and their families who are playing these machines. And I don't, underst I don't understand. I mean, it can only be ignorance and stupidity from the Labour Party that allowed them to, to make this mistake. Yeah. And now, isn't it that they've reduced the amount you can bet? So they're still well, in they're the shops? Well, they're going to. I don't think it's clear yet. It's something between £2 and £50. But it's a powerful lobby, uh, the betting yeah. industry. And there's this guy, Philip Davis, who I think tried to sue me once. So I better be careful what I say about him. But he, uh, he is, a, he is a, quite an effective lobbyist on there. I think he worked in a betting shop or ran one or something. And, of course, you know, it's exactly like the tobacco industry. They claim, first of all, they claim it's harmless, mm. as the tobacco industry did with um, cigarettes and, and the connection with lung cancer. And then they put up these stupid little signs. Now, you know, oh, these terrible, bloody advert. You watch a, you know, it's not just roulette machines. I mean, you watch any sporting event now, and that bloody Ray Winston every 10 seconds. Every advert now is for, is for online casinos mm -hmm. or, or betting, you know, online betting thing. No, oh, we're, we're an army of millions all around the world. We watch, it's quite sinister, sort of, well, we watch everything. We're millions strong. Well, I bet responsibly we bet 365. And you think, oh, make this cease. So, I mean, that seems to be completely unregulated. So your target is late at night, you're targeting 
single people, you're targeting poor people, you are allowed to show on television somebody putting their chips on a number and it coming up and getting huge profit. You know, this is drug dealing. That's what it is, pure and simple. It is every inch as, as immoral as selling dangerous drugs to children on street corners. So and this has been permitted by, you know, and then encouraged by a succession of British governments of both, you know, both sides of the divide. Do you think it's enough then, limiting it to no. £250? Do they just I need to go? Arm, I get Ray Winston's army of millions. I give all of them a baseball bat and I'd say, go in there and smash the bloody things to, to, to destruction. These things have no business on a high street. You know, and God knows how many tens of thousands. And it's, of course, it's not just the people, you know, you, they, it has a, a, a feeds into domestic violence and divorce and children going without school, you know, textbooks and clothes. You know, it's an insane policy. It's the most insane policy I've ever seen. And, you know, for 450 million or, or a year or whatever it is, the Treasury gets. It's not worth the social cost That's of it. like one and a half typhoon fighter jets. Or so it's just ridiculous. Make it stop. Well, thank you for and joining us. And put Gray Winston in the stocks. <laughs> thank you for joining us today, Matthew. My pleasure, as always. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Acast or wherever else you get your podcasts. Helen Hodnot produced this episode. I'm Kirsty Major. See you next week. 